You choose Columbus Business First every week to give you the inside industry intelligence for nearly every business sector in central Ohio. And Columbus Business First chose Crate Media as its official podcast partner for its unique show, Women of Influence, now 70 episodes strong. With 4 million shows, hundreds of millions of listeners, and industry advertising revenues approaching $4 billion, podcasting is the fastest growing audio medium in the U.S. From law to medical, construction to automotive, retail to real estate, every brand has a story. Let Crate Media help tell yours. Visit crate.media slash CBF to learn more about how we can help while receiving a free one-hour casting session with our expert producers, which will help to uncover and shape your company's branded podcast. To learn more about sponsoring Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast, please email Advertising Director Steve Hewitt at shewitt at bizjournals.com to get started. That's S-H-E-W-I-T-T at bizjournals.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Columbus Business First Women of Influence podcast. My name is Emily, and I'm going to be sitting down about every other week with some of the most smart and successful women executives in Columbus to talk to them about what they had to do to get to where they are today. With us today is Linda Shatina Logan, the Executive Director of Columbus Sports Commission. Linda, thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Linda Shatina Logan has served as the Executive Director of the Greater Columbus Sports Commission since its inception in June 2002. A trailblazer in the sports tourism industry, Linda has led the Sports Commission to book over 600 new sporting events that have generated over half a billion dollars in visitor spending. Prior to being the Sports Commission Executive Director, Linda was the Director of Sports Marketing for the Greater Columbus Convention and Visitors Bureau, now known as Experience Columbus. Linda has organized, staged, and directed hundreds of meetings, concerts, sporting events, and conventions, including the NCAA Men's Final Four, Presidential Debates, and the United Nations Summit on Trade. I guess you'd say I was a sports fan growing up. I was not an athlete, but just a, a spectator fan. I loved the sport of baseball since I was a kid. Okay. And who ever dreamed that there could be a career in sports? I, I suppose I was at that generation where there were more traditional roles for women mm. in business or teachers and that kind of thing, which I love and probably thought I would pursue something like that. But I went to Ohio University. Um, they were one of the first uh, colleges and universities to offer a master's program in sports administration. And so many doors opened for me being part of that program yeah. and got to um, live and work in Cleveland, Milwaukee, Kansas City. And my sister lived here with her two young children and said, don't you want to know your nephews a little bit better, mm. uh, be a little closer to home? And I moved here really without a job uh, and started... Uh, getting some ideas about this sports commission worked for our convention center for several years bringing a lot of events to the city mm-hmm. and feel like I have the best job in the whole community yeah that's all it seems like such a fun job like I always see you running around and hosting these big giant events and one of my questions was are you interested in sports on a personal level yes I think that's where the passion started okay. I, I just was I'm from a very small town Fairport Harbor and we didn't have sports teams for women when I was there, mm. but I was the sports editor of our little newspaper, and Love I was it. the statistician for the boys' teams <laughs> and traveled with the teams and kept score and just uh, found that I loved the, being part of all the action. I didn't need to be on the playing field, but I loved the kind of the pageantry of the, the big events, and here I am today getting to be part of such big events that come to our city. Yeah. What was like the biggest sporting event you feel like you were able to be a part of? I think... 
a year ago, the community, we all hosted the NCAA Women's Final Four and talk about a labor of love. It took us 10 years to put together really the right package for us to host the event. And, you know, I knew that from an execution point of view, it would go very well because we had some remarkable team members that were surrounding the effort. And, and then to have such remarkable games and the way that the community really came out and supported all the ancillary events, whether it was kids that were reading to the Final Four yeah. or just spectators that were part of the, all the fun in the, in the area, I just still think that we're all beaming a year later of mm-hmm. how well it went. And so for sure, that will be my favorite sporting event of, yeah. of all time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and so what does like the average day of your job look like? Because I'm always so fascinated with what that entails because you're so busy but well we have a remarkable staff so it started out really with me as a staff of one back in the day but we now have 12 full-time employees and whether they're business development that are out booking events mm-hmm. trying to get them to come to our city or our events team or marketing team that are on the ground you know trying to make sure that the events go so well and from an execution standpoint so really now my role as executive director is probably to think a little bit more big picture. Sure. I still love being at the events and being part of the action, but knowing that we still have um, you know, fundraising to do and board uh, governance and, and nominating committees and trying to get the right people that really are there for us. We have a remarkable board that has been there from day one. Mm-hmm. And some Many people have been part of it. and So my day probably is a little bit different than it used to be because I get to be part of these big events. For instance, this week we've all been on site for some big things, but uh, but typically we're thinking ahead. We're we're already looking at events for 2025 and beyond. So it's trying to think of that big picture too. Yeah, yeah. So I would love to talk with you just a little bit more about working as a woman in sports industry. How have you been able to navigate that territory in your career? So many doors open for me. I think I graduated from high school right when Title IX was coming online mm-hmm. so didn't even know what I didn't know <laughs> and so all of a sudden um, at the college college level and even professionally more women were being involved in sports teams and facilities and so for myself I felt like opportunity was knocking and and so many doors opened for me so certainly there are many times that I may be the only woman in the room sure. but I think because of maybe my personality too is I I think I'm a very much a collaborator as much of Columbus is as well so I've never found that to be um, a boundary, if you will, or barriers. I've, I've found that people have always been very accepting of it. I mean, there's been a few times where I've been intimidated sure. to have probably um, so many people around the table that are so powerful. That was probably, I don't even know if that was a male field male role. It was maybe just my confidence in the early mm. days. I was someone that was from behind the scenes for so long. So then to be elevated to leading an organization and having a seat at the table with so many people of influence, I had to learn that I belonged, I yeah, think, more yeah. than anything. What did it take for you to kind of get to that point? Like, was there ever a, a point in your life where you were like, okay, I really need to, to realize that I do have a, a voice here? I, I uh, had to have a little push. Yeah. So one of my very first board meetings, I, I think my body language was not yeah. speaking of power or being the leader of the room. And one of my board members afterwards, uh, he pulled me aside and said, you know, I know you got this job for a reason. You know your, you know your stuff and you, you were selected in this role because of that. But if I, weren't not, if I didn't know you and I didn't know your credentials and I were to watch how you operate on mm. these early board me- meetings, I think I might start to doubt that we hired the right person. Mm. 
And so I, you need to go in there and really start acting like you belong. Yeah. And I really did have to take a good look at the mirror and say, okay, what are you afraid of? And and I just think it was a confidence or a lack of confidence. Yeah. But I think just realizing that I was, I did know what, what I was doing. And right. so I kind of broke them down by individuals. I do so well one-on-one with people. Mm-hmm. So I think I had to take on a different uh, personality with a bigger group. And But what I always say is I pretend like I'm sitting next to them, whether it's having coffee or a drink at a, at a bar or yeah. something like that. It's just still that one-on-one, oh, which is a good space for me. Yeah. But now I've been able to expand that to a bigger room, yeah. whether it's a boardroom or even now we host such big events. I, I look back at how shy I used to be mm. and I really had to grow in the role. Yeah. What kind of advice would you have for for a woman who has gone, you know, like you said, from a more behind the scenes role to out front in a leadership position, what are some of the ways that you think they can learn from from what you had to go through? You know, I think just being very prepared, you know, I think that always um, being the person maybe that outworks the others, uh, you know, make sure that you do know your stuff so that when you do have that opportunity, um, you're not sort of resting on your laurels, if you will. Yeah. So I think that's just something that I always tell students too, that always ask a lot of questions, be inquisitive, be inclusive. And I do feel like that that does build confidence when you do feel like you are you are prepared. Sure, yeah. Also, kind of going back a little bit to your time in the sports-specific industry, obviously you've done a ton of things in travel, but I would love to talk with you a little bit. Were there any hard moments that you could remember working in sports, um, like where you were up against something pretty tough? You know, I think... Um, and early in my career, I actually worked for two sports teams that actually the the team and the league both folded. Uh, mm. They went so they just weren't able to you know make keep the keep the keep the dollars coming in. Sure. And those were hard times because you knew that the product could be good on yeah. the field, if you will. So I think I learned what not to do at <laughs> times. And and I think I actually felt that those were great early experiences in my young career because. If you can go through that, I mean, I relocated to a, a different city. I didn't know anyone. And all of a sudden, the paychecks weren't coming in. Mm. So, you know, what do you do in that case? And you want to be loyal. You want to, you know, hope for the best. But then there are times where you have to cut your losses and, and decide, okay, this is not going to work for me. Yeah. So I did learn some great lessons and, and still know a lot of the people that I worked with back in the day where those circumstances happened. But I really think that they apply today, that there's times when, you are um, negotiating. We're, we're bidding against other cities, and we think that we have the best bid. Uh, but competition is fierce. So, sure. so knowing that even if you do lose a big bid, we, we, the, the women's final four is a great example. Uh, we bid on it and lost our bid the first time around. Mm-hmm. And although we were devastated by it because we felt like we had outworked everyone, at the end of the day, we didn't have the right package. We didn't have enough hotel rooms yet. We didn't have a bigger, a big enough staff. I think that the NCA probably recognized our deficiencies ahead of us, but we regrouped, and many people, especially some of our board, feel that that was a defining moment for for the sports commission because that loss turned into us getting more resources. Yeah. We were able to talk a little bit on a big picture of why we need more hotels in the city, and the Hilton came on board, you know, a couple years later, and mm-hmm. so really, all's well that ends well, but it really was that defeat, if you will, yeah. that really uh, got us to where we are today. Yeah. I Something you said that was really interesting a couple minutes ago, you talked about getting to a point where you have to look at something and be like, okay, I have to cut ties with this. This is not working. What are kind of the next steps after you get to that point in, a, in your career where you're like, okay, either whether it's a new 
a new job that maybe you're like, okay, this isn't for me, or maybe it's a, an aspect of your job that you know is not working. How do you kind of go? You know, I think that we've had to, and I've had to learn that as a leader of an organization, when we were small and, and just had one or two staff members, you know, we did not, um, couldn't have imagined that someday we'd be, you know, be the size that we are. Yeah. So I think that priorities change, and even us as an organization, we're ever-evolving now, and you know, I, I look at how marketing uh, has changed for organizations. In the early days, we didn't even have a dedicated marketing staff member on our team, uh-huh. and now we have we'll have three on the team that will be focused on all of those things. So it's really um, benchmarking. We always share with our other cities around the country, even though we're competitors, we also really like each other. Mm-hmm. So I can <laughs> look around and see what's Kansas City doing, what's Pittsburgh doing, and what's Cleveland doing, and get some good ideas and. And then come back and say, okay, maybe we're not quite aligned properly. Are we not putting enough focus here? And so I think it's ever-changing. And just knowing, again, that you have to constantly be growing and asking a lot of questions. So I do feel like that's something that um, I've learned, too, as an executive director, that you can't always uh, do it just because you've always done it that way. You have to come with some new ideas. Yeah, yeah. What kind of advice do you have for women who are thinking about going into a sports-related industry, whether that is on the travel and tourism side of things or maybe it's becoming a professional athlete? What kind of advice do you have for that? Work hard and um, don't be afraid to take a position that maybe was not your dream job in the Mm -hmm. beginning. I think there's so many people that are so focused on getting that, you know, getting that VP job at a a professional sports team and that's not going to happen overnight. You've got to, I always say take the road less traveled because you're going to find that that's a great adventure too. So yeah. whether you're going, if you want to be in sports, there's a lot of non-traditional roles. And I would say even our sports tourism side of the business is somewhat of a new field. We've yeah. only, our National Association of Sports Commissions, we've only been around about 20 some years. Okay. So still very young in our efforts. Or, mm-hmm. And I think that there's really a lot of opportunity in our field our business as well but don't be afraid to take a job that might be on the fringe of sports but you'll still have a seat at the table think about our great facilities whether it's nationwide arena the convention center they have a lot of vendors they have a lot of suppliers that work in the sports industry but might not be employed by the team or the building right so whether it's food service or learning about you know people that do a lot of the big signage Mm -hmm. for big events or even starting out um, working in hotels and and uh, on that side of it, because that is still playing into the part of the hospitality community. Right. So I always look for people that have a, a very interesting and unique past. They don't have to have a sports sure. uh, on their resume, but maybe transferable skills. Yeah, I think that's something that's so hard for young professionals to balance, like not wanting to be overly ambitious, but also you know wanting a career path and getting there. Uh, yeah. That can be hard to kind of navigate. Right. Even uh, a bank teller, for instance, I think, could transition to work in a box office somewhere hmm. because you you know every day you're selling and you have to be accountable for for the dollars that you spend and so I know I, I had a chance to do that early in my career and I still use some of those skills I learned as a bank teller yeah. for reconciling budgets <laughs> and things like that so and I love the profession of banking too because it opens up a lot of doors so I think there's a lot of transferable so skills funny. no matter what you do yeah what was like one of the things you did as a bank teller that you feel like you can tap into as an executive director well every day you had to balance your your drawer your budget yeah. or whatever so I still think when there's times we might be a few dollars off something I'm like just run the t- run it again I know it's in here somewhere we've got to figure it out that's awesome 
so when you were starting out in your career, what do you feel like was the biggest mistake that you made that you, uh, looking back on, were able to realize? You know, I, I think that maybe just misconceptions of, of leadership. I, yeah. I think when I thought of what a leader was, I thought of some a CEO of a big company and and but you all everyone can have leadership skills you know whether you're a servant leader and people might follow you because you're a good person you're ethical and you do great things but i think i didn't understand that myself and so i think that i was just needed that boost i think I t- we talked a little bit about that earlier was just getting that confidence that your path does not have to be the same as sure your mentors mm-hmm. and you can create your own magic yeah. as well. So some of those things I think I didn't know that about myself and even um, learning about how to manage a budget. That was something I never had the experience for. So maybe to ask a little bit more about tra- cross training when yeah. you're in a job. So you might be in your current role and you have your day job, but ask a lot of questions about yeah. what your other colleagues are doing too. Then you have a more of a generalist approach I think it took me a while to understand that. Yeah. It served me well, though, later in life because I didn't just, I wasn't pigeonholed in just one area that way. Yeah. I think confidence is such a complicated topic for women in, in working fields because as from what I've seen, it's just we run up against it a lot where even if you get the job offer or even if you get that promotion or raise, you're still like, there's this part of you that's like, I don't know if I deserve this. Um, how would you combat that if someone came to you and felt like you offered them this great job and they're like, but, you know, maybe they didn't say it out loud, but they're thinking, do I really deserve this? Should I be doing this? You know, I, I think going back and, and talking to like-minded people is always a good thing. I, I think it's really important. I, I'm a really good connector. So when I meet someone, I, I'll say, you need to meet so-and-so because mm-hmm. I think that they're going to be uh, a good influence for you and or they're going to connect you in ways and open doors for you. So I think building that confidence comes from within, but then also having those mentors or role models that could also encourage. And and a role model or a mentor doesn't always give you good news, too. I think they can have that candid conversation with you, too. But I do think that that does help you bolster what you're feeling. So I guess that would be my advice is to don't be afraid to surround yourself with people that are similar in many ways, but also that may stretch you yeah. to think differently. Yeah. I think finding mentors is something that's so important but kind of hard to, to do. How do you recommend people find good mentors in their own? And they may be in places you hadn't even thought of. I, my next-door neighbor is this brilliant scientist, and <laughs> we, uh, Dr. Carol Sabrin, and we walk together in the evenings, and she has a totally different industry than I am and, and vice versa, but we still can bounce things off of each other and and I, I guess colleague to colleague, I, I look to her sometimes for advice, hmm. whether it's a staffing issue or even um, looking ahead to try to, you know, have my own uh, professional development. I think oftentimes for not-for-profits, we don't have a lot of um, of those opportunities hmm. to learn and grow and be um, have our own path of, mm-hmm. of learning. So we have to look for them separately. So I think it doesn't always have to be a traditional mentor, if you will. But someone that you look up to could be at your church or yeah. your, your school. But then also reach. You know, if there's a profession that you really like and you've zeroed in on someone that you'd like to meet, then don't be afraid to send them a text or an email or stop in sometime and say, hey, could I get on your calendar? And yeah. I think people are really uh, agreeable to that. Yeah, absolutely. Was there ever a time when you had to negotiate for yourself? And what was that like for you? 
yes, awkward, right? I don't think I, people are really good at that. I, mm-hmm. I know I've never been very good at that, but there was a, an instance once years ago where I, I was in the room with some a leadership team, and uh, they were really talking uh, about hiring someone else mm. in a similar role, but probably with a bigger salary. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, I've got to really speak up here too, because this is important to me sure. as well. So I just had to muster up the confidence to to really speak for myself. But before I did it, I did my homework too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to make sure I was benchmarking and I wasn't just being emotional about it because I think I can react that way sometimes. Same. So <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I was coming with the facts first. Yeah. So I think that was a good example of having to kind of make a case for myself, but I dreaded it until it happened. And then I, I was very for- happy that I did because right. I would have really been, you know, looking back with regret that had I not done something like that. Absolutely. Yeah. It's so, it's, it's like once you do it, you feel so much better, but leading up to that point, it's like, I would rather do anything else. And then you'll think, why did I even worry about that? That was pretty easy after all, right? Right. Yeah. So was it kind of like a back and forth situation or were they like totally understand? They totally kind of realized that they had not been thinking big picture. Yeah. So it was really uh, an oversight. So it was easily corrected once once we had the candid conversation. Yeah. But do you feel like if you hadn't said anything, it would have just kept going? Yep, I do. I think wow. so. So I had to make that happen. Yeah, that's awesome. I know some women who are like, I like my mentor is very straightforward and you know, it's, it's a little awkward for her, but she's like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk about this and have this conversation where I'm more like, no, please no. <laughs> so, so what kind of advice do you have for women who are terrified of doing that? For well, the first I still time? think you want it to be your personality, so you can't do it just be the way someone else may do yeah. it. I, I once had a boss say, "You don't have to be, you know, an sob like me. You could still have your, <laughs> could still have your own personality, but you can still be effective." Yeah. So I think it just you don't want to go too far out of your norm. Sure. So just finding that confidence and maybe that Emily's way of doing business, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. What drives you as a leader of people? I am a very curious person, so I think that Columbus and our sports commission and our sports community has so much potential that I am still so excited to come to work every day because mm-hmm. I feel we're, we're just hitting our stride. You know, the, all the things that happened during Women's Final Four, we have such momentum right now. So that's the great thing because I do look out on the horizon and think there's no stopping us now. Mm-hmm. But then what keeps me up at night is, okay, how are we going to keep it up? How are we going to keep the momentum going? Yeah. How are we going to keep getting more resources to do all the things we want to do and help prioritize all that? So. So it's a double-edged sword. I, I just get so jazzed about it, but I also have to be realistic to know that, all right, this is one step at a time, and, and how do we get there? So when you were starting out, you know, you said that you were a one-person show, more or less. It was really just you running things. Mm-hmm. Was that hard for you to kind of picture where you could be at today? When we first launched the Sports Commission, um, I should I should backtrack. We I was hired by Experience Columbus to really cultivate the sports market. I was hired as a sports marketing manager. Okay. But knowing that this one person could not, if we really hit our stride, it was going to take a much bigger operation to right. be successful. So it was a, exciting to be that person, but also somewhat daunting because you looked around the country and you saw cities like Indianapolis who had a you know 20-year start on us. Sure. Kansas City, they, they had a 40-year start against us as well. I shouldn't yeah. say against us, but so how do you start? And I remember it was, I had one pad of paper on the, on the desk on day one and put together this wish list of maybe eight to 10 things that I thought the community needed in order to mm. be successful. And I'm happy to say that all of those things um, 
but one have happened, and now that thousand room hotel, yeah, we know that will be breaking ground later <laughs> this year. Happening. So, so just understanding that that was you know almost twenty five or twenty some years ago that that list came together. But it was you know having realistic expectations, having short term goals and long term plans, yeah. if you will, yeah. is really how it started. And then again, talking about benchmarking, I think we took ten cities that were doing a great job at, at their sports commission efforts, and then. Benchlining, benchmarking how what our model could look like, yeah. and knowing that okay, we're going to go from a staff of one to three to six to twelve, didn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. But then we were very strategic in how we did position those new hires. Yeah. And now I think we're we've reached so many of our original goals. Now we have to set new goals. Yeah. Because it did take a little while to to get there, but now I think uh, it's Sports Commission 2.0 is underway. Yeah, that's awesome. What kind of advice would you have for someone who is in kind of a brain, a breakout role like that, where a lot of people are putting a lot on your shoulders? Sure. For you, that seemed to go, you know, there were probably ups and downs for sure, but it's been going very well for you. What about someone who's in that position and things just aren't working? What kind of advice do you have for someone in that position? I think, you know, to be patient for sure. I mean, there were a couple times I remember saying to my husband, you know, that's just... It just seems like it's slow. The process is so slow, but I would sure hate to give up on this effort because I can mm. see the possibilities. So just to be realistic, you know, you need to have a North Star. So ours was very easy to measure, you know, economic development, raising yeah. the image of Columbus and really doing that quality of life piece of, of doing great things for Columbus through sports. So we definitely had our goals. Yeah. And you, it's really easy in a position like this where, sports is such a broad topic that people will come to you and say can you help me with this or help and in the early days we probably tried to be all things to all people but Mm. at the end of the day if we said okay we really cannot help um, with something that's a local event because we're really charged with bringing visitors here yeah so we had to define our roles very succinctly (laughs) so that we wouldn't get off track and it wouldn't get too overwhelming and that really did help us so anyone that is coming together with our they're creating a new organization or a not-for-profit, um, really just to make sure that you're defining your goals and you're getting the the buy-off from the community too. That's yeah. very important to get people in the room and say, is this, are we on the right track? Yeah, yeah. Because then you're going to have support. Do you ever get asked, how do you do it all, that question? Yes. What's your response? And I think <laughs> that you never really do it all, but you do it all at di- different times, right? Mm-hmm. So it's that work-life balance and... You know, do you spend enough time with your family? Right. And are you in the office too much, or are you taking good care of yourself? Yeah. And so I just think that um, it is important to do all those things, and I think it's a sliding scale. Yeah. <laughs> so absolutely. I feel that right now, um, during March, the month of March, mm-hmm. my balance is way off hmm. track. But you know, hopefully, um, in the next few weeks, it'll be we'll be at the normal tempo tempo back in the office. Yeah. But to recognize that in your staff, too, because we our staff has been working a lot of long hours the last few weeks. So being flexible that, you know, come in a little late or take right. a couple extra days off or what does that look like? So not only do you have to recognize that for yourself, but you also have to look around the room and make sure that you're being good to the people that are supporting you. Yeah, yeah. I think that question is so interesting because I've seen a lot of times that gets asked to women of like, how are you working in this awesome job? And also, you know, unsaid is how do you also take care of your family at the same time? So I always think of responses to that. 
were you, I mean, you've, you've mentioned a couple times where you really had to take a step out of your comfort zone in your career. Uh, what was the first really big one in your career? And what was that like for you? I was living out of state. I didn't have any family. And my job uh, really abruptly changed. We had new leadership. And mm-hmm. it was a tough moment because I like, do I move back home? Do I try to you know, tough it out here. What yeah. are my opportunities? And, and so I just think I had to do a real, a lot of soul searching and thought, all right, well, I think I can make the best of it. I still think this is a great community to live in. And I was living in Kansas city okay. at the time. And um, it's not that I started my own business, but I started freelancing. I started doing a couple of different jobs mm-hmm. and it really led me to um, get a, a position at our convention center that really opened a lot of doors to working in the field I am right now. So I always say some of those detours really uh, led me mm-hmm. in new directions as well. Same with when I moved to Columbus. I felt like I was in a rut in my position. Um, I was working at the convention center in Kansas City. It's a city-run facility, and I worked with great people, but I, I knew that my the people above me were not going to be going anywhere, so I knew my opportunities were limited. Mm. And my sister lived here in Columbus and just had her second son, so I had these two nephews that were three and a half and yeah. you know two weeks old and she said why don't you move here it's a great city so I actually moved to Columbus without a job I took a leave <laughs> of absence from my position in Kansas City wow. and I waited tables at the Funny Bone oh my and gosh. I worked retail for the first time and I all my friends back in Kansas City were taking bets as to when I was going to move back because they said why did you leave you had such a great job here yeah. but but I felt like I was in a rut and I needed a new adventure yeah. so I really did move here without a position but was hired by our convention center during the groundbreaking and okay. took the role there. But I, I moved from being a behind-the-scenes person, operations, to sales. And I used to make fun of us salespeople. <laughs> you know? And I thought, I don't know if I can do the job, but right now they don't need operations yeah. until the building actually opened. So I took a new role where I was selling the building. And so whether it was conventions, sporting events, trade shows, and it was a wonderful opportunity. We were building this beautiful new building. And I was moved to a city that I thought had a lot of opportunity. And I really think that I had, I had this idea of building a sports commission in another city other than Columbus. Hmm. I don't know if I would have had that opportunity. We're such an open city to new ideas. Yeah. So while I was booking business at the convention center, I, saw, I brought the first volleyball tournaments there. Now we have you know hundreds of tournaments sure. that come there. There are, or I should say, hundreds and thousands of visitors, but you know, seven, seven or eight weekends a year with volleyball, and I yeah. brought the MAC basketball tournament there to Patel Hall back in the day, and so I was doing a small mini version of a sports commission hmm. just for the building, yeah. and that's where I knew that there was a missing link, if you will, that mm-hmm. there was not a dedicated effort citywide, yeah. and so that's really where that sparked, and so I think often had I not taken that chance of just taking moving here without a job and it would never have happened you know it was I do I mean you have to have a little inner confidence and certainly I had family here yeah you know my sister and her family and her husband and kids and you know I chuckle now because those nephews now are you know 30 and Mm. 33 one's a Columbus policeman one's a Columbus fire fireman and so it's so fun to now be part of you know their growing up and their families and have a lot of great nieces and nephews too um I find it so, I mean, you always hear, never leave a job unless you have another one lined up. So what was that? You really had to kind of go against the grain there, right? Well, it was funny because the the president of the board of our tourism office uh-huh. in Kansas City said, I'm writing a letter on your behalf because 
everybody's going to think that you left because you <laughs> got fired or something. I, I'm going to make sure that you have this when you get to Columbus so that everyone awesome. knows what a great job you do. And I didn't, I think I didn't, I was naive a little bit about yeah. just making such a bold move. Hmm. So I think that there were other people looking out on, for my best interest too, because they That's probably great. realized how it might be perceived on the other yeah. side. But I was like, all right, well, I can do that. I, you know, it's, do you look back on that time of like waiting tables at the Funny Bone Fondly? Or I do. <laughs> I mean, it was a great time for me. And I moved here, you know, it was an adventure. Yeah. Right? So I came to a city that I didn't know a lot about and totally shook my life up a little bit. Yeah. But it really worked out all as well that ends well. Yeah, right? absolutely. So I have my quick questions for you now. Sure. So I'm going to ask them and just whatever first comes to your head, just shoot me your answers. What is the biggest myth about being a female executive? There's so much opportunity for women. So this is a, a funny comparison, but I, I think I grew up in a small town where I was some, somewhat naive about life. I was the first in my family to go to college, but this, this lyrics of an Eagle song, um, city girls just seem to find out early how to open doors with just a smile. I think <laughs> I didn't understand that being a woman in a position like this, that you do have opportunities because you are a woman as mm -hmm. well. So hmm. I think I would look at it as reverse because I think there are times where I might be able to go into a situation and finesse it a little bit differently than it, maybe if it was two men having the same sure. conversation. Hmm. So I think that would be the, the myth that I think there are some real opportunities for that as well yeah. because you are a woman. That's really cool. I've never even thought about that. I, I like that a lot. What did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a sports writer. Okay. because I loved baseball so much and I saw that there were no women on the baseball beat. Hmm. And that was in the very traditional day of newspapers, right. <laughs> radio, television, and I didn't see anyone doing that. Hmm. So I felt like, oh my goodness, maybe I could be the first person to do that. And so I went to Ohio University, who was, you know, who was known for a great communications and yeah. journalism school, and thought, boy, I wrote for my small little newspaper. I think I could be a great writer. But I quickly learned that I wasn't a really good writer. <laughs> so I found this field of organizational communication. Who even knew what that meant back then? But, so I think that would be my answer. I, okay. I thought sports writer. That's awesome. How do you feel about being classified as a female executive director instead of just executive director? You know, it's like sometimes when we say Columbus, we always feel like we have to say Columbus, Ohio, but we could just say <laughs> Columbus, right? <laughs> much like the female executive director. But I, I take a lot of pride in that yeah. because I know I have fellow colleagues around the country. There's a lot more of us now in this role. So there's a point of pride for that. Yeah. What do you know now that you wish you had known when you were first starting out? Personally, I wish I would have exercised more and loved fitness. You'd think, oh, I'm in the sports business, but <laughs> that has come so hard for me. So that's more of a, a personal thing yeah. as well. And also, all, this is also very personal too, but I also thought that I would have a, many, many years to have children, and I waited way too long probably for mm -hmm. that, and so it didn't, didn't happen for us in our family. But, you know, I have some great nieces and nephews, so that used to be... Yeah sort of a, a little bit of sadness for me. But now mm. I always say to, to young women, if that's important to you, make sure that that's something that you think about when you're a little bit younger because yeah. it goes back to the question about can you do it all? 
And I think probably in my life, I got married much later. I was in, I was 40 when I got married, so mm-hmm. I didn't think about it yeah. t- until then. So it was something that probably had I known, not that I would have changed anything because I have this awesome husband, <laughs> but I think that if that's something to, to think about for others. Yeah. yeah. When, you know, when do you suggest starting to think about that? Because I think women get scared of like not wanting to seem like right. I just want to leave yeah. my job and take care of my family. Like how do right. you, you know, I would say, you know, mid thirties, something yeah. like that to yeah. make, then again, not being a doctor, but just saying, thinking yeah. personally that you don't want to think about it too soon, but yeah. you also don't want to ignore that voice that you have. So my last question, who is your biggest role model or mentor? You know, I think that there, I've had several. Um, I know uh, there was a woman that worked with me here in Columbus who passed away way too young, Linda Reddy, who worked with me at the convention center. She was someone that I thought maybe had it all. Mm. And the fact that she just was so, she has a wonderful family mm. and she was so well respected in the community. And she seemed to always have sort of that, know what the right thing to say when, when a friend was in need. So I always think of her as someone that was a great mentor to me. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much for coming, Linda. This was so much fun. I'm okay, really great. Well, thanks for having me.